following podcast is not for children and contains discussions of adult themes. In addition, this particular episode discusses student-teacher relationships, suicide, and drugging. Listener's discretion is advised. And remember, listeners, the dreamiest thing you can do is listen to your own needs. podcast. I'm Nicole. And I'm Claudia. And today we will be discussing Vladimir, a novel by Julia May Jonas. Hey, uh, I want to start off with a quick question here. Nicole, (laughs) what the fuck was this book? (laughs) (laughs) That is a great question. So, okay, I'm I am a subscriber to Book of the Month Club. And this is one of the because I was like, you know what, like, I want to read something steamy, you know, they had some fun steamy ones that I've read before. And I need to like look up the actual tags on this because it was like definitely supposed to be steamy. And I was like, ooh, well, with okay, just to, you know, describe the cover here. It is literally just like neck down of a shirtless, well, not shirtless, but like it's a man with a button down that's totally unbuttoned. Button down. Yeah. A little hairy chest and shit with his hand like over his crotch. And it's like with a cover like that, one would assume that it's supposed to be like super sexy, you know? Yeah. Um, so I I I judged a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah. I... And I heard that's something that you're not supposed to do. <laughs> Allegedly. Allegedly. So that was my reasoning. I'm actually looking up Book of the Month Club right now, and, and I'm going to find this. It's funny because Goodreads has tags. They're like user submitted, I guess. And romance was on there, but it was like the fifth one down. Yeah, like I would not call this a romance novel in no. the slightest. <laughs> but I was at least hoping that it would be like steamy, you know, given yeah. again the cover, but you're not supposed to do that apparently. So the tags are cerebral, unreliable narrator, salacious, and snarky. And I was like, ooh, salacious. Sounds yeah, right I mean, up our um, alley. Merriam-Webster defines salacious as having or conveying undue or inappropriate interest in sexual matters. Also, the they have like emojis or whatever, like little like icon <laughs> things for every tag. And that one was a peach. Okay. So like I went in having very specific expectations. Yeah, this um did not meet that expectation. This, I don't know what this was. This was certainly <laughs> a book that we've read. Nicole. Did you like it? No. (laughs) (laughs) I did not. Here's the thing. I don't know if I really liked it or if I absolutely hated it. (laughs) Okay. I, it's, okay, as I was reading this, and, like, obviously we'll get into, like, the details, but, like, there's, like, a turn that I, like, didn't really see coming, and I'm like, yo, this would make, like, a great Lifetime movie. (laughs) It would. Like, I hate it. Like, in the sense that, like, you know, compared to other books I've read, I just really did not like it. But as somebody who also loves, like, trashy Lifetime and Hallmark Hallmark Channel movies, like, this is 
this is that. This is that specific content. Yeah. The book has such a specific vibe. Yes. So should we should we get into uh starting to summarize this one? First, I wanna I'm like trying to scroll back through our messages, but didn't you message me saying like what is this boomer book? <laughs> yeah. I, I, I once again sent you uh Norm MacDonald saying, I believe that everyone involved in this book should die. <laughs> I said, uh Nicole, this is such a boomer book, LOL. You said yes, good in all caps, ha 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 ha. <laughs> That's the exact vibe I got from it. And I say it's like listening to my spouse's parents, liberal boomers. And you said pain spaced out with, with spaces between all the letters. Yeah, and then uh later on, I don't know if I'll mention this now or later, but I put I put in um in our jokes channel in our Discord my thoughts on Vladimir so far with a a gif of I forget what show this is from, but uh, it's it's a guy dressed in Nazi uniform being like, are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, it is certainly a time. Yeah. And also, I just want to point out that this was uh, the book of the month for February 2022. Uh, perfect for Valentine's yeah. Day. So <laughs> that's uh, this book was an experience. It's actually when the book was um, published. We are actually reading oh, a okay. contemporary book here. Oh my goodness, look at us. Also, as I want to do, <laughs> I checked out Julia Mae Jones's Twitter. Oh, uh, yes, Jonas's good. Twitter. She had this this really telling tweet. Whenever someone on this site mentions hating a book and says, like, DM me, I always assume they mean the one I wrote, which may sound like a lack of self-esteem, but is actually extremely egotistical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like trying to find more information on her just like out of curiosity i'm like who is this person but okay let's just let's get into it yeah let's get into it okay so we start we have a little bit of a prologue here during which okay so our main character slash narrator is unnamed and i can only assume that's because the uh julia may jonas did so so that the reader can insert themselves into the main character's position. I was correct in assuming that this was a boomer book because it is written from the perspective of a 58-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. And, oh man, can you tell? <laughs> On some level, I appreciate having a, a romance novel, if we're calling it that, with an older woman as a protagonist. Mm -hmm. Even our, our love interest is 40. Like, this is the, the oldest couple that we've read on this podcast so far. So far. Geriatric romance next? <laughs> Perhaps. So we start with our narrator talking about how when she was a child, she loved old men and she could tell that they also loved her and how eager she was to please them. Age is definitely something that comes up throughout the book, or like just age discrepancies in general between our main character uh, and her husband, main character and Vladimir, the love interest. And we end the prologue by her looking at Vladimir, who is snoring lightly, a soft, soothing purr of a snore. Okay, so right, right, right off the bat, this threw me off, where she refers to, like, one of his arms being shackled, and I'm like, what the hell is happening here? So, because I thought... It was his it was his right hand that was shackled yeah. and I thought okay well if it was a left hand maybe that would be referring to like a wedding ring or something 
But no, the right hand was shackled. And so I'm like, what the hell? And then she also says, mm. oh, if I was his little wife, blah, 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 blah. So right off the bat, I'm like, all right, well, what does this mean? And then to be honest about it, I like totally forgot about it until later on in the book. <laughs> and I was like, oh, wait a second. Yeah, I I looked back on this later and I was like, this is such an odd place to start this novel. Yeah. And the stuff about like like loving old men never comes back. Like it it really has nothing to do with anything. It doesn't. Because this this whole book, she's lusting after a younger man. Her husband is the same age as her, or I think slightly younger. He, no, he's five years older than her. He's five years older. Okay, so he's sixty three then. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Still, though, that's a that's a smaller age gap than Vaughn and Oren. Yeah, because uh, she goes into it later on, saying that like um actually you know what we'll get into this because some plot needs to happen. Okay, so we start with uh let's see. Oh god, where do we start? This is also like a weird book in the sense that I feel like not a lot happens, but it's very descriptive. Yeah, no. It's so can can we talk about the whole unreliable narrator thing real quick? Yes. Cause like as I was reading this, I, I got like maybe halfway through and I was like, I feel the vibe is supposed to be unreliable narrator, but the fact of the matter is that we get Every single petty thought that this woman has. Oh my god. Just like completely unfiltered. Yes. In this really honestly kind of vulnerable way. I I was, uh, I saw it as like, this is the judgiest bitch <laughs> I've ever seen oh, in yeah. my whole life. <laughs> but I kind of, I don't know, I kind of really enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed like how she just has no filter in the narration, like positive and negative. And she'll flip mm-hmm. back and forth too. Yeah, I so as far as like her descriptions and like her unfiltered narration, I was trying to see it from the perspective of the target audience, but I couldn't help but default back to like my young millennial self being like, oh God, like this is like so much happening right now. Yeah. Again, trying to put myself in the position of the target audience, I'm like, okay, well, like, I understand why she would be feeling this way. Like, it's just like my millennial mindset where I'm just like, oh my God, like, this old lady is like, <laughs> being so obnoxious. Yeah. So, like, I'm looking at just like flipping through the pages, looking at my notes. I'm just like, what the fuck? And just like a bunch of question marks. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so we open with a mention of our narrator's husband. Yeah. So like she and her husband are both professors at this like upstate New York liberal arts university. Her husband is going to be having a like misconduct hearing for some relationships that he had with students like 20 years ago, something like maybe more. Yeah, it was it was something like that. And so, yeah, there were, I think it was like seven women who came out with allegations against him. One of the first things I noticed in regards to the allegations was that she is like very defensive of her husband. Yeah. Where she's just like, oh, when she was younger, you know, like she, you know, like this is what she would want, like, you know, older men giving her like that approval and stuff. She, I feel like, especially in the beginning is, like, very harsh Mm -hmm. towards, like, her own gender. Yeah. It's very not like other girls. Yeah. Yeah, so it's seven women who came out with allegations against her husband, and all of these took place 
before the university explicitly said and like, you know, put out a rule saying that student teacher relationships were, you know, not acceptable. And then after that, he no longer had any relationships with his students, allegedly. 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 And so now we have like all these women from the past coming forward and he's been put on like a probation. So he's no longer teaching, but he's still like on a budgetary committee and stuff. And yeah, like I really honestly just want to talk about like her reaction to the whole thing because she says a lot about it, mm-hmm. you know, just to to be upfront about it. Like they have an open relationship. They've come to that agreement and they have, they've had that agreement for years now. I'm just going to say I was surprised to find that this couple was, was like Polly. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely like a surprise, but you know, and like I, I liked her reasoning for it too, where she was just like, you know, like I can just like kind of do my own thing. Yeah. It gave me time to like do me. So yeah. So, and so like she knew of his, affairs i guess but you know they never like divulge details or anything and she was like kind of like all right you know like you're doing it whatever and the way she sees it is that all these girls were over 18 they were all consenting adults so like what's the problem which Mm. is like very harmful thinking yeah like even if uh, allegedly you know we don't get details because unreliable narrator but allegedly none of these allegations were that he sexually assaulted any of them or coerced them into anything. It's just that these relationships fuck these girls up. Yes. And we don't even really learn what the exact allegations are until a little bit at the end. Yeah, but all we know is that the entire student body pretty much has like condemned him and they're also kind of looking at her as complicit. Yeah. In a way, which does come up again later on. But yeah, so we she starts off the school year like not really caring about things. Where she's <laughs> like, ah, like, fuck it. Like, let the students talk. They they just want to hear themselves talk anyway. Yeah, she says that a lot. Oh, yeah. My note for that was, okay, boomer. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, this whole book is okay, boomer. <laughs> to a degree. Oh, my God. Absolutely. Okay, no, this is where we start. It's Vlad coming to her house. Mm-hmm. Our, our friend Vladimir. So Vladimir is a new teacher on the tenure track at the university, and it looks like he would be the one to take her husband's position, you know, if he is dismissed like formally from the school and stuff. Mm-hmm. So he shows up, and so right off the bat, she's like, oh my god, like this man is like fine as hell. Something about him just exudes like sensuality. I gotta say. Yes. His his full name, Vladimir Vladinsky. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure yes. that there are men named Vladimir Vladinsky in the world, but as a book character, um, <laughs> Nicole, you and I have played role-playing games, tabletop role-playing games together in the past. I have. I have run some games and you've played in them. Uh, Vladimir Vladinsky sounds like a character where you guys asked for an NPC's name and I go, <laughs> uh, yeah, my name is... Uh, I, I do have a name, and I do, of course, know my name. It's uh, uh, Vladimir Vladinsky. And then you would all laugh. Exactly. <laughs> when I first saw his full name, I was like, all right, it, without telling me he's Russian, tell me he's Russian. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and that's exactly how they did it. Every time I Googled, started to Google Vladimir without adding a novel onto it, it started coming up with Putin. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> It's like, no, that's not what I want. (laughs) So right off the bat, she's like very open with him as far as 
her feelings towards like what's going on with her husband and everything. And she even admits to never really being this open with anybody about it. So she's attracted to this man and he is, you know, in his 40s, but younger than her by like good, like 15 years, probably. 18. 18. Oh, thank she you. She says she's old years. enough to technically be his mother. Oh, yes. <laughs> so yeah, so she's attracted to this younger man and she goes into uh, some of her previous affairs. So she also had an affair with a student, only one, but a student nonetheless. So again, like very much targeted towards older women because she always compares herself to one, her younger self and two younger women. Mm-hmm. And so she's like very attracted to this young man. And is just kind of like, oh, but like, you know, that wouldn't happen because I'm like older and like my breasts sag and stuff. And Vladimir has a young wife too. Yes. And she's like super hot apparently. Yeah. Cynthia Tong kind of sounds like my kind of woman to be honest. Okay. Gonna say it right off the bat. She's like the only good person in this (laughs) book. (laughs) It's, it's true. Oh my God. Yeah. No, no, no. Um, Sydney. Yeah, Sydney's cool too. Yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, because before Sydney was introduced, though, Cynthia was in there. And I'm just kind of like, oh, God, like everyone's terrible. Like this poor woman. <laughs> I want to read Cynthia's book. I would read. Yeah, I would absolutely read her book. So Cynthia, uh, since we didn't establish who that was, is Vladimir's hot young wife who we are supposed to meet in, I think, the next scene because our main character's husband invites Vladimir and his wife and their three-year-old daughter over to like kind of hang out in their pool and like have lunch or dinner or something. And so uh, our narrator thinks of it as a way like of her husband, John, winning Vladimir over kind of onto like his side to say, to show like, hey, like I'm not like the fucking creep that everyone's making me out to be like, I'm just some dude. I technically never broke any rules. It's a good strat. Oh, it is. Yeah. So he invites him over and Vladimir shows up without Cynthia he says that she had a migraine and that's why she wasn't coming and our narrator is like "Mm, they probably got into a fight I will say she does seem to accurately read the people around her oh absolutely and I think that's also just like from experience and like also age where she's just like listen like I know young couples and like that's not really what happened yeah there's this like whole bit uh about like towels i don't know if like you remember this oh yeah but it was like very drawn out but also it's like it it just i think is in there to really show our narrator's way of thinking where it's like she receives a text from vladimir saying something like oh my wife wants to know if we should bring our own towels and then she goes into this like whole thing where it's like okay so like his wife was like upset that he would ask her to text about the towels so she told him to text narrator about the towels and or or like or maybe they're so in sync that he just did it on of his own accord and then like credited that to his wife like it's this it's this whole thing yeah i gotta say maybe i feel a little more sympathy towards the narrator because this is like very much how i think Mm -hmm. i i very much do this this like analyzing because like the whole thing is that um her husband does her husband have a name john John, of course, yeah. it's John. Of course, it's John. And um, <laughs> John tells Vladimir to tell Cynthia to coordinate with our narrator about food for the picnic, or a pool date, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Vladimir texts her instead. So she starts going into a whole thing about that. Like, why did he text me instead of her? 
and then when the towels come in on top of it, <laughs> she's she starts like psychoanalyzing these texts, and oh boy, <laughs> if I have not done that before. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like I do that, but I I don't know. I probably with things that I like give more importance to. For me, I would just be like, okay, like whatever. I I wouldn't even think to think about that, you know? <laughs> it just like yeah. would not occur to me. <laughs> so we're at this this pool party, right? And so she's thinking about Cynthia this whole time where it's like, you know, like who is this woman? Like she wants to like her so that her like fantasies about Vladimir are kind of quashed, I guess, because she she doesn't want to be fantasizing about this younger man. So she's like looking for something to stop her. So she wants to meet Cynthia. She wants to be, you know, friends with her and she wants for them, all the, the four of them to see each other as like colleagues and stuff. Mm -hmm. But of course, Cynthia isn't there. And so they get to know Vlad pretty well. Uh, also, there is the scene with him being in the pool and she thought that he would be like, you know, like a little flabby, but no, he's apparently like super ripped because all he does is like work out and read. Fucking nerd. Yeah. Also, <laughs> also her husband uh, straight up calls him sexy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he was such a specimen that even John commented in his funny way. You're so sexy, Vladimir. To which Vladimir, displaying an unexpected sense of humor, said, I know, and winked. I kind of like Vladimir, too. I do like Vladimir. There's some stuff about him. Yeah, that like, yeah, that I was not very happy about. But like, initially, though, like when we first meet him, I like him. I'm like, oh, like, he's just some guy. Yeah. <laughs> that's really who he is. He's just some guy. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of the point to a degree. It's like, it's not even about him. It's that she wants to feel desirable again. She wants to yes. get away from all this stuff with her husband. She wants to feel like she can be creative again. The book is called Vladimir, but it should be called like Any Way Out. Yeah. Oh my God. Absolutely. I was thinking about the title too, where it's just like, the book really isn't about Vladimir. Mm -hmm. It's about our narrator and I, like coming to terms with her life essentially because you know she she goes into her body image frequently and then she also goes into her i guess from her perspective failed writing career mm -hmm. where she released her first book and you know it did pretty well and then her second book was like a total flop where it was written from like perspectives of like three different women and then it turns out in the end, it's the same woman. And then the reviews were kind of like, who the fuck cares? <laughs> <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> everyone when I come out to them is plural. <laughs> <laughs> and then with everything with her husband going on. And so she has a daughter, Sydney, who I think was 29 or maybe older. Yeah, she's our age. Okay, yeah. So I, I I knew she was like late 20s, early 30s. So, and, you know, obviously, like her daughter has an opinion about all this because her daughter wasn't aware of like the terms of the relationship. She just saw it as like infidelity and then him targeting younger, vulnerable women, mm -hmm. which like he kind of was. He is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we have this woman who now has a strained relationship with her daughter because her daughter sees her as like condoning these actions and stuff especially because she sticks by him throughout this whole thing mm -hmm. she's got her failed writing career she and her husband haven't had sex in like a very long time she's aging and you know her body is showing signs of aging and she's always had some body image issues mm -hmm. but it's just been it's been amplified now in her older age so her life 
she's like really not happy with it. Yeah. And like there's there's a lot about women Sydney's age and younger condemning her husband's actions. There's this whole scene uh a little before the pool party, I believe. These these four girls come into her office and they're like we just wanted to say uh that you don't have to do the quote you don't have to like do the whole supportive silent wife thing like you're this hot brilliant lady we think you're really hot uh and like it's totally unfair what he's done to us us women and we just want to know when you're gonna dump his ass she starts to get really angry about this i just want to read this in in a whole if you don't mind yeah go for it careful 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 i thought to myself careful We professors talked about it all the time. Nowadays, you must be so careful. It's good. It's good, we would say to each other. It's good that there's safety. Though we all wondered what we were preparing these students for with all our carefulness, as if the world was going to continue to be careful. At which point I started to roll my eyes. But then. But then again, maybe it was, we would say. Maybe if these were the people who were in the world, who were comprising the professional culture, then the world would have no choice except to be more careful. And that would be a good thing. People said this crop of youth was weak, but we knew differently. We knew they were so strong, so much stronger than us, and equipped with better weapons, more effective tactics. They brought us to our knees with their softness, their consistent demand for the consideration of their feelings. The way they could change all we thought would stay the same for the rest of our lives, be it stripping naked for male directors and undergraduate productions of the buck, the, oh, I practiced this pronunciation too, but I don't remember it. <laughs> the Bahé. Uh, ignoring racist statements and supposedly great works of literature or working for less when others were paid more. It goes on. Also, she says they had God and their friends and the internet on their side, which, you know, I have the power of God and anime on my side. <laughs> but I don't know. That that was one of the things that made me like soften on this a little bit. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, this isn't just like a kids these days kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's clearly that that she feels, like, personally attacked by all this. She doesn't dislike any of this in theory. Mm-hmm. And, like, she appreciates it on some level. I don't know. Yeah, like, I found myself going back and forth with her, where there are times where I'm just like, ugh, like, okay, boomer. And then other times where she's, like, I don't want to say, like, praising, but, like, acknowledging the strength that younger generations have. Mm-hmm. But then it's like, and then she has other moments where she's like super critical, like, oh, like these girls all like dressed up in makeup and stuff to go for a run and like stuff like that. So I'm just, yeah. I, I was bouncing back and forth between liking her and like really disliking her. Yeah. Because that was one of those moments where I was like, oh, like, okay, you know, she's, you know, she's an older woman at a liberal arts college in like what is supposed, it, it's supposed to be very progressive too. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, like. She's cool. She's down with the times, you know? But then other times, I'm just kind of like, oh, like, she's just sad old lady. <laughs> she's an old lady. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, 58 really isn't that old. No, it's really not. But, like... like I think that's my mother's age, and my mother ain't that old. Oh, no. Like, my mother's older than her. But also, I feel like my mom doesn't act like such an old woman like this lady yeah. does. <laughs> <laughs> so, at the pool party, they comment saying that, like... Fee has the inner resources of a second child, but she's happy by herself because our narrator was concerned that because Cynthia wasn't going to be at the pool party, that Vladimir would get stuck babysitting the whole time and they wouldn't really have time for conversation. 
But she was pleasantly surprised that that wasn't the case. So Fee, the daughter, is like, was very, was okay on her own. Like, you know, she had her little life jacket on. She was playing in the pool. Like, she was fine on her own, which came as a surprise to them. Our narrator asks, why do you think she is that way? And he says, oh, I know exactly why. It's because my wife left when she was one. Cynthia was hospitalized after her suicide attempt. For six months, it was a nanny during the day and me on nights and weekends. And then it, it's mentioned that during his interview with the hiring committee, he mentioned that his wife tried to kill herself and it was one of the reasons he got the job. Yeah. Which is when I was like, oh, Vladimir, like. Yeah. Weird of him to be exploiting that. Yeah, because like a little bit after this, we meet Cynthia and we really start to get like her side of all this because first of all, yes, they did in fact have a fight before before this and that's why she didn't go. Mm-hmm. They're very codependent. Yes, but we see, so like, you know, obviously from our narrator's perspective, she looks down on Cynthia at first because she sees Cynthia as the codependent one mm-hmm. where they moved here because like Vladimir's the one working. Cynthia only teaches like one class, I think. Yeah. And then the rest of the time she's spending writing her next novel because she is a more accomplished writer than Vladimir who has also published a book. Yeah. Like his book is also like critically praised, but I think it's not selling nearly as well as her book. Yeah, that was exactly it. Where she reads his book and it's very well written and everything, but not as commercially celebrated as Cynthia's. Yeah. And, like, she even got, like, a bigger advance on her book and stuff. How emasculating. I know. Oh, my God. How dare the woman make more than the man? <laughs> but, yeah, so from Arnaria's perspective, like, Cynthia's the codependent one because as the way she sees it is Cynthia barely works. Like, she works less than what is considered part-time. And, like, all she does is, like, write her novel. And then when she's doing that, Vladimir ha- is the one who has to take care of Fee. So it's like, what does this woman do? Like, yeah. she's just hanging. Like, but what, why? She serves no purpose. Like, she's not, she's she's just like a burden. But then we actually meet Cynthia. Yeah. So Cynthia comes into her office sometime a bit later. She, she says, uh, I didn't have a migraine. The truth is that Vlad and I had an awful fight and I couldn't get down from the ceiling after. He had to drug me to put me to bed. Wow, I didn't catch that the first time around. Oh, you did it? I did. I was like, holy shit. Like, what the fuck? I was working while I was listening to this audio. I got the audiobook <laughs> again because I, I started reading it. I was like, this is dense. Yeah. Also, the woman who narrates this audiobook, good job, but please talk faster. I had to put you on 1.25 to, to get oh. you up to a speed where it was listenable. <laughs> I also listened to the audiobook for parts of it. I like read parts of it and then listened to parts of it Mm because I was trying to like do things. And the entire time I listened to it, it was at two times speed. Yeah. And normally, like I tried that for um, Love Me Whole, I tried it for. And I was like, whoa, like this is too fast. Yeah. But no, even at two times speed, (laughs) I was still able to like retain everything. Yeah. So yeah, very slow narration. I also liked how she did voices though. Like she used deeper voice for like Vladimir. Yeah, (laughs) her voices were fun. Yeah, they were. Also, just want to say, they are very open with people that they've only known for like three and a half minutes. Like this is Cynthia's first time meeting our narrator and she's like, yeah, like my husband drugged me. And it's like, girl, what? (laughs) If someone said that to me, I'd be like, girl, what the fuck? Who are you? Yeah, especially with like with coworkers. Well, maybe I shouldn't talk, but 
It's a little much. Like, I I have had pretty close relationships with my coworkers, mm-hmm. but that didn't happen right off the bat. Like, yeah, this exactly. is literally minutes, within minutes of them meeting each other. That's just too much. If someone did that, I'd be like, okay, like, you're coming on a little too strong. <laughs> like, should I be concerned? Though I guess it's like, she already knows that she has mental health problems. Like, that is the one thing that everyone knows about Cynthia Ta- uh, Cynthia Tong. I almost said Toth. Tom. Who's Toth? Yeah. Is that Rosalia? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all of our all of our character names. We've been reading too many books, Nicole. <laughs> I need to have their names like up on the screen so I don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Cynthia Toth, it's like the one thing that everyone knows about her is that she has mental health issues and that she tried to kill herself because her husband, in their in the interview, uh, our narrator says to Cynthia specifically, he said that's probably why he got the job because when they asked him why he wanted to move all the way up here, something set him off and he started crying and it all came out in a burst. And he told them how I had tried to kill my- Oh, Cynthia says that to the narrator, rather. Told them how I tried to kill myself when our child wasn't a year old. And... Uh, how his responsibility was now to keep me alive, oof. And they could hire me, that I was brilliant, that we were still living in the same apartment where he had found me foaming at the mouth, having shit myself in the bedroom with a note to keep my daughter away. Which also, too much detail. Too much detail, oh, yeah. Cynthia. And we hear it again later on, but also, they, they, they're literally just meeting. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Cynthia's book, even, is, like, all about, like, her trauma and stuff. Yeah. So, like, it's out there. But even then, like, girl, I'm just meeting you. Also, just want to say Cynthia is a fan of our narrator. Like, has read her books and stuff. Yeah, I found that very nice. I did, too. Like, nobody, nobody's read her fucking books, but apparently Cynthia loves them. <laughs> so Cynthia's read them, and then there's also, like, a student who, like, really admires our narrator, too. Mm-hmm. And which I was like, oh, like, that's kind of nice. But then also, our narrator says something like, referring to them as like her fans or it's like something weird i'm just like yeah. oh that sounds a little conceited but okay <laughs> anyway so now our our narrator's point of view changes where she's like oh i thought vladimir was superior to cynthia but she's like but that's like not even the case like they're not even equals like she is superior to him like she's settling for him hell yeah <laughs> hell yeah yeah so it says here i feel i felt deeply sorry for her before i met vladimir when i heard that he divulged cynthia's suicide attempt in his interviews i felt a rush of distaste like i feel when any great writers or people really who have committed suicide are mentioned in the context of that act before their work I had pitied her position at the college coming onto our small gossipy department predefined as damaged, which like, yeah, like, and I I feel for Cynthia because it's like a big part of the reason that both of them have this job now is because they feel bad for her Mm -hmm. where it's like she's had her struggles and everything, but she's like a very strong woman. Yeah. And, you know, she's worked on her mental health, clearly. Yeah. I do appreciate that Cynthia calls herself crazy. I think oh, that's yeah. a very, like, I think that's a very mentally ill thing to do. I love it. When she's like, she's and she's like, listen, I'm mentally ill. I'm allowed to call myself crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, hell I yeah. I do that shit all the time. <laughs> Same. I'll do things. I'm like, how very mentally ill of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And so then they talk about their relationship and stuff. They even get into Cynthia's sex life, which again, it's like, girl, we're literally just meeting, but okay. So, yeah, Cynthia says, I like you. I've read your books. I like you. I can tell you have sharp elbows and rough edges. You're prickly, like me. I like prickly people. I trust them. I hate nice people. I like Vlad because he's Russian at heart. He's Russian. He's brutal and he can't hide anything. I'm a mess, she said and rose. 
Don't let anyone make you feel bad about your husband, she said to me. I wish Vlad would fuck other people, but he doesn't want to. He barely wants to fuck me. I told her to give it time and that maybe he would. Fuck other people or me, she asked. I told her maybe both. Here's hoping, she said. And she's like, all right, but I got to pick up my kid. Yeah. <laughs> so again, we have another instance of somebody like, I don't know if she's like necessarily condoning. Well, I she clearly doesn't see John as a bad guy. Yeah. I think she just doesn't care. Well, later on, like they they have their little writing club. Yeah. So it's like, Spoiler. they're obviously like, oh my God, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they're obviously like, you know, hanging out and stuff. So she wouldn't do that. If she didn't like, if she like really disagreed with what he did and saw yeah. why, how, why it was wrong. So let me get to our narrator, like walking around being horny for Vladimir. Oh, can we talk about the two times where they talk about anger being felt in her vagina oh my god yeah i had that marked as mimi <laughs> yes yeah, like my anger originates from my vagina and listen as a person with a vagina i have never felt that <laughs> <laughs> i was wondering i i don't feel i don't feel anger there i don't have that but i still don't feel anger in that region <laughs> lightning bolts of anger shot from my vagina to my extremities i've always felt the origin of anger in my vagina and i'm surprised it is not mentioned more in literature so next time I get mad, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay attention. Yeah. See if my vagina gets angry. <laughs> Later again, it comes up. I thought it was a fun callback because she says jealousy burned at me, anger fired from my womb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so our narrator now bought a pack of cigarettes, and she quit smoking like years ago. But I guess something about being like super horny for Vlad and. Like, with everything going on with her husband, she just, like, wants to smoke again. Yeah. So she buys a pack of cigarettes, and she's – and it's, like, dark out. She's smoking outside her house, and she hears a voice being like, oh, like, you're at their house now? Like, you fucking skank? Yeah, she goes, and she does say skank. A lot. <laughs> Where it's, like, reading – again, like, she is – Sydney is our age. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know anybody who talks like that who's our age. I, I would maybe say skank as like a joke. Yeah. I don't th- I mean, first of all, I don't know, as as two woke women here, would you would you call another girl your age or younger a slut or a skank or a hoe? I'm trying to think like would I even say it jokingly? Because I call everyone bitch. I'm like, what's up, bitch? You know, yeah. like that's one thing. But like Skank is never a word I think I've ever used in my life until like this moment. (laughs) (laughs) No one says skank. Skank honestly gives me like early 2000s vibes. Mm, Yeah, yeah. Like skank is something I would hear in Mean Girls. (laughs) Yeah. Which I think was like mid 2000s. And then like like slut, I would call myself a slut. I don't think I'd call anyone else a slut. Yeah, no. Even I'm trying to think like putting myself in her position like, all right, my dad has slept with younger women. One of them is at my parents' house. I wouldn't call her a skank. <laughs> I might call her a bitch. Like that and that's pushing it. And like Sydney is really drunk here. Yeah, really like, drunk. Really drunk. Where she like breaks the door or something. Like she kicks it open because she can't figure it out. <laughs> so yeah, so Sydney shows up and she mistakes her mother for one of the students that John is fucking or has fucked in the past or will fuck. <laughs> she like lunges for her to try to fucking fight her. She's like, no, it's me, honey. It's mommy. And Sydney like vaguely like snaps out of that. So Sydney showed up because her girlfriend kicked her out. Yes. And so at this point, we still don't know why. And 
our narrator doesn't ask where she's like, you know, if she wants to tell me, she'll tell me. But as of this point, we don't know what's going on. All we know is that Sydney is a very successful lawyer, mm-hmm. also has like a lawyer girlfriend. What was her name? Alexis? Yeah. Yeah. Kicked her out. And now she's very drunk. And she apparently walked from like the train station, like all the way to the house. Because, like, she was too drunk to drive. Oh, and on the train to, like, Albany, I think it was, she fucked some dude in the bathroom. Yeah. She says, I think I fucked some guy in the bathroom. And then her mom's like, you think? And then she's like, don't worry, it was mostly consensual. And she's like, like, mostly? "Mostly?" (laughs) Jesus Christ. Sydney makes some choices. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Okay, so it's actually shortly after um, that we learn what happened between alexis and sydney yeah do you want to summarize this i barely remember it i was playing fortnite while i was into this (laughs) um so yeah so alexis her girlfriend of three years brought up the topic of possibly having a baby so alexis was 35 meaning that at that point it would be a geriatric pregnancy which is like ridiculous but like that's how bodies work i guess unfortunately unfortunately so yeah, so Alexis wanted to have a kid, and I guess that freaked Sydney out. And Sydney, there was like a, a new intern or something at the firm where Sydney worked, but the intern was about her age. Yeah. So she doesn't see it as like it, it doesn't compare to what her father did. Yeah. Because he was obviously sleeping with younger women, with the exception of like rank. They're pretty much on equal ground here. Yeah. And so, you know, she describes her as like very fun and like passionate and that they were working long hours together and then trails off and says and then alexis found out and so alexis you know obviously was upset about it so they talked through it and sydney said that she would end it but then they went out for drinks because like their team won a case and then it happened again and so there is another time the third time that they got together was like Sydney like snuck out in like the middle of the night or something to see her and she didn't think Alexis would notice but it's just like how would she not notice yeah so apparently she like doesn't sleep through the night and so she notices that she's missing and then she's like all right fuck you and kicks her out so combination of like the like baby talk and then cheating on her girlfriend three times in quick succession (laughs) uh prompted Alexis to kick Sydney out and then they talk about like being sympathetic sydney is like oh well you should like sympathize with me because like she sympathizes towards her husband who like did something very similar which i thought was weird i'm more sympathetic towards sydney why is that it's just your average cheating and it's cheating from a desperate place of like feeling trapped Mm -hmm. john is just manipulating young women to oh yeah feed his own ego and get his nuts off but they were consenting adults. Yeah. What? <laughs> I feel like if it weren't wrong, you people wouldn't have to say it so much. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> it's, it, that actually is funny that you say that because they do say it repeatedly, repeatedly. Where they're like, well, technically they were adults, so it's fine. Yeah. It's like, well, you know. And, you know, even Sydney is always says, like, you know, like to her mother, she's like, do you not realize that he was in a position of power over them? Like, it doesn't matter that they were adults. And also, I don't know about you, but I have never met a single 18, 19-year-old that I would consider, like, fully developed as far as, like, their cognitive function. (laughs) I think that 
when I was in high school, uh, one of my teachers said uh, there's a big difference between 18 and 21. And at the time I said, yeah, whatever, teach. <laughs> but, you know, three years later, I was like, yeah, you know what? There is a big difference between 18 and 21. Yeah. And you know what? Like three years later, I was like, there is a big difference between 24 and 21. <laughs> Seriously. And now like us in our late 20s, can you imagine like, I'm okay, like I'm just trying also to see like what, like why would you go after somebody like that much younger than you? It's got to be a power thing. Exactly. It's it's who he can get easily and who makes him feel like a big man. Yeah, because it's like, why else would you go after somebody so much? Well, I, I mean, like, even even if, like, it's not a sex thing and someone claims that it's, like, a romantic-only thing, like, why would you go after somebody? Why would you pursue somebody so much younger than you? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't fuck an 18-year-old now, and I'm 20. Oh, my God, you couldn't pay me. <laughs> you could not pay me. I'm turning... 28 in july and it's just like you, i wouldn't even like talk to a 24 year old if i'm being honest yeah i mean what's what's half our age plus seven here like for me it's let's say let's say like 22 like i'm rounding up so it would be like 21 yeah no too like much. no 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 i mean yeah where it's just like listen like i know i can be like a dumb bitch sometimes <laughs> but like I, I honestly can't wait until I'm 30. Like, I can't, I don't like being in my 20s anymore because I feel like I am being lumped in with actual children, but they're not children. They're like 21. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Anyway, so while she doesn't want to age, I'm just like, yo, let me be 30 already. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we'll see what we're saying when we're 58. Like, damn, remember <laughs> 30 years ago, I didn't want to be 30. <laughs> because, of course, we will still be doing this podcast in uh, 2050. <laughs> Not only that, we will remember this book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nicole, you remember Vladimir Novel? <laughs> Why do you sound like a 90-year-old woman? <laughs> You're only 58. <laughs> it's all the hormones. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> what are we talking about? Okay, so. I don't fucking know. <laughs> okay, so Sydney then asks her mother about what her plans are. She's like, oh, are you, are you going to break up with dad? And she's like, well, why would I do that? And she even says this before to like the younger girls who confronted her in her office who were like, oh, like you're so hot and stuff. Where she was like, it's far more complicated than a couple of indiscretions where it's like they have, they've been married for like 30 years, which is longer than, yeah. you know, those students were even alive. Yeah. The way she sees it is just like, why would I end things for like a couple of, bad things that he did which she doesn't even really see as bad because she was okay with the uh with the relationships and she didn't even care that they were like students because they are of age yeah so you know she had no plans to leave her husband and so sydney says i feel like if you stay with him you're giving some signal that you condone his actions and i don't think that makes you look very good and she says to whom to the college to all these women that you mentor i think the optics are bad and then she says, oh, so you want me to destroy our family? And Sydney says, I'm a grown adult. You and dad have been on separate tracks since I've been conscious. We're just three people. How much do we really identify as a family? Also, that's the most fucking boomer thing to say. Oh, so you want to destroy our family then? Oh my God, seriously. Huh? And it's like, but it's, it's like this, this girl is, this woman is, you know, like almost 30 years old. Like she has a life yeah. of her own. She is considering having a fucking child with her girlfriend. Yeah, seriously. It's like, 
destroy our family. Shut up. You can still get together for holidays. Get over it. <laughs> but yeah, so she's like very set on staying by her husband's side despite all these things, which is like bananas to me. It almost feels spiteful. Yeah, where it's almost like, oh, look, this is what everyone's telling me to do. So like, I'm not going to do it. Yeah, it's childish. Yeah. Where again, like Sydney's saying, it's like, oh, like it doesn't look good because it really doesn't. No. But she's like, eh. Whatever, if they don't like it, they don't like it. Yeah. What you gonna do? I'm not even given given this, uh, you know, everyone consented thing. I'm not even giving that a don't worry about it, dude. Like, it just, it grosses me out. It's so gross. Like, even, okay, so let's say that these happened, like, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. He's still, like, twice their age. He was, like, what, like, 43 or something? And, like, college girls are, like, 20 two years old max probably in like yeah. undergrad for the most part I, I i i highly doubt he'd be he'd be targeting an older person in college yeah know? i don't think he's going after von sinclair from love me whole Ex- exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's like either like you know he, it's he's still twice their age yeah fucking creep like i just there's mm. so they talk about it some more like, i just want to like read most of this here because it's just yeah. like oh uh, uh, uh. Sid, I always knew, and he knew that I knew. And Sid says, that's so gross. Why? Because, oh God, you were enabling him with these underage women. None of them were underage. Under mature then. How was I enabling anything? It's not like I built him some secret chamber for his trysts or groomed or cultivated women to go engage with him. I knew them by sight, if at all. Sid says, but didn't you understand that it was a power dynamic? Of course, but aren't we attracted to power? When I was a young woman, it was said, and maybe it was a powerful man who said this, I'm not sure, but it was said that men were attracted to looks and women were attracted to power. Yes, he had more power, but I imagined that made it fun. He could bless them with his approval, and what's more arousing than that? You've got to understand, and I'm not saying this is right, but we were all still thinking about sexual liberation, about freeing women from feeling that if they were sexual, they weren't serious, or good, or that they would be judged. We didn't think of sex as trauma. He didn't drug them or coerce them. He didn't even have anything to give them. Sid says he wrote recommendation letters and gave grades. He was responsible for their future. None of those women suffered professionally or academically because of your father. They're saying they did now. They're reacting to a moment now. What about the ones who wouldn't sleep with him? They came to him. He didn't pursue. Are you sure? No, Sydney, I'm not sure. I haven't ever wanted to know as much about this as I know now. Like, ew. That's fucking gross. And she's, and like, especially like towards the end where she flat out says that she doesn't actually know all the details of it. For somebody who doesn't know and knows she doesn't know, she's certainly being very, like, steadfast about this. Like, she yeah. is speaking as if she knows, but she doesn't. And she knows she doesn't know, and she admits to not knowing. It seems also, like, in addition to spite and just not being, not, not just not doing what she feels like everyone wants her to do or feels that she should do, she's also doing it out of convenience. Yeah. Which... I, I honestly, like, notice in a bunch of, like, older couples, too, where it's just, like, you guys clearly don't like each other. Why are you still together? And it's strictly out of convenience for company. And, you know, she obviously has a very poor image of herself. So she's probably thinking, like, she can't start over with another person. Yeah. And, again, more convenience because she even says, like, oh, he's the one who does, like, the taxes and the bills and stuff. Like, he does chores around the yard. And, like, that's not enough of a reason to stay with somebody. Yeah. But... I don't know. I'm not married, so I guess I can't speak on that. <laughs> I am married, and I will speak on that. Nah. <laughs> Thank you for your educated opinion. <laughs> also, on a lighter note, can we talk about the big autistic energy that Sydney has? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
I really love this paragraph in particular. I watched as Sid took the crayons that they kept on each table in a juice cup and flipped the paper mat over to the kids' menu side and began to color. It had been the same picture for nearly 20 years, a crowded jungle scene with tigers, snakes, and baboons, and she always colored it the same way. Blue tigers, green snakes, red baboons, yellow foliage. It's like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) There I am, Gary. There I am. (laughs) And then there's another bit where Sydney says that she saw her father doing something with Lena, the babysitter growing up. Mm. And like, I still don't know like what to make of this whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So she says, what about Lena? I felt her eyes scrutinizing my face. Who? Lena, the babysitter, the one I had growing up. Your father never did anything with Lena. Yes, he did. I saw them. I remember. It's an early memory. I came into the kitchen and I saw his head in her neck and his hands wrapped around her and she was giggling. She saw me and pushed his hands off her. I remember I asked if he was trying to get something from her pocket and they both laughed. That was me. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. I remember what I saw. No, sweetheart, you don't remember it right. And I told her how when she was little, John had been groping me in the kitchen and he was wont to do. And she came in and asked that exact question. And he had said, yes, I'm trying to get something from your mom's pocket. And she had said, give it to him, mom. And he had leered and said, yeah, mom, give it to me. You know how unreliable memories are, my love, I told her. But Sid just shook her head. I don't, I'm confused. (laughs) So like, I still don't know what to make of that because- Later on in the book, she sees John and Cynthia together. So she sees one thing and she's like, oh my God, but did I see this? And I, you know, did I see him like holding her waist and like all this crap? It's like, you didn't see that. Yeah. So did her husband do something with Lena? But she just is inserting herself into that memory to make him out to be like not a bad guy. Yikes. Hadn't hadn't considered that one. Yeah. That or or it's like, has she heard about this before and just been like, oh yeah, like that was me, where it's like you miss, or she's the one misremembering, not Sydney. Yeah. I don't, this book is weird. (laughs) It is. So yeah, so Sid stays in the guest rooms and she has like nowhere else to go. And they have like a really weird relationship with like the three of them just aren't talking to each other and are seriously avoiding each other. Well, isn't Sydney spending a lot of time with John? Yeah. Yeah. Or... Are they or are they just talking about it? Or like, because I know they talk about like Deer Hunter and stuff and how they used to watch it together, but then like she stopped. I thought they rewatched Deer Hunter. Something like that. But yeah, they are spending a lot of time together. Nicole, you want to watch Deer Hunter for the podcast? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is the point where she finally reads Vlad's book. Mm. And she really likes it. She thinks it's like a work of genius and whatever. And so they set up a date to talk about it. I think it was October 20th. I think that's the exact date. And so the reason that they set a date that's so far out is because he has a lot going on with like the move and all his busyness being like a new professor and all that stuff. And so he wanted to make a date that he was sure he could commit to. And then we also learn about David, her former lover, and currently the interim chair while her husband, John, was suspended. So like back in the day, she and David had this affair and they were going to meet up at a graveyard and run away together to Europe. I think they said Berlin specifically. Probably. I just remember it being a graveyard specifically because such drama. Yeah, seriously. And such like, such, oh, the symbolism. I know. Okay, if you were going to run away with somebody, where would you tell them to meet you? A train station? Yeah. A parking lot? <laughs> an airport? <laughs> the commuter lot on I-95? <laughs> yeah. Like, 
Oh, fucking but the grave like why the graveyard? Because they're both fucking English professors, that's why. Oh god, they're pretentious <laughs> as hell. <laughs> Gross. So he had a son and his wife, and he ended up never showing up. And then several years after, his son died in a freak accident. And so like they hug each other and he's like, see, as if like this is a result of their affair. <laughs> you did this. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been worse if they actually ran away together. And I want to talk about this too, where she said that she wouldn't have regretted like running away because she would have been leaving her daughter, but she thought that like Sydney would see it as like a great act of like love and how it's like, you know, you can't let somebody else like dictate your life and you just do whatever it is you want to do. And it's just like, girl, like that's your daughter, but okay. Yeah, you really just kind of think whatever you want to think, huh? Whatever conveniences her. Weird. Uh, so now we see David and he's like 50 pounds overweight and she's like, oh, like he is not attractive anymore. <laughs> so at this point, David and this other bitchy woman florence yeah florence they're like hey uh the students have said that you should step down because it looks bad to have you here it looks like you're condoning his action your husband's actions you were seen laughing with him in your office and she gets really mad she's like oh fucking that's that's bullshit which it is bullshit like yeah. let's all be honest here it's bullshit but I do get where it's coming from. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going to do this. And they're like, well, at least consider it. Uh, Cynthia would be taking over one of your classes. And I think Florence will take over the other. And her targets are right back on Cynthia for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, because she's, you know, thirsting over her husband. And now it's yeah. like, well, now this bitch is out to get my job. <laughs> <laughs> And then she like calculates where it's like, you know, the vote was like five to two or something like mm. that. And she's like, all right, well, like this person would never betray me. And like this person's like kind of cool about the whole thing is like every rolls his eyes every time anyone mentions the scandal or whatever. Yeah. And so she's like, oh, so like you guys voted because like technically they can't make her leave. Yeah. They can only like strongly suggest that she does. But this is where she starts to like make a turn i guess because then she realizes that she never acknowledged it with her students and everything and it's clearly it's something that everybody knows about yeah and i actually kind of liked this part where she goes into her class and she's like listen i know i didn't talk about this early on in the school year but i'm going to talk about it now like clearly y'all know what's going on with my husband so i want i want us to have like a discussion about it like everybody submit your questions and stuff and we'll talk about it yeah and so she has this kind of like open forum and it's all anonymous they all like submit pieces of paper and stuff like that and they have this, like, open forum discussion on, like, what's going on, which, like, I really liked, yeah. actually. I thought that was, like, pretty cool for them to be, like, discussing it. Granted, I still think she's bananas for sticking by her husband as much as she is, but I appreciated the sentiment, I guess, as far as acknowledging that, yes, her students are uncomfortable with the whole situation and uncomfortable with her because she's clearly not upset by the whole thing she's not saying anything yeah oh well one question asked her if she's polyamorous and she like laughs and says do you think that's any of your business and winks at them <laughs> yeah so at at some point later after she's like told to to like step down cynthia shows up at her house when our narrator is incredibly drunk and uh, what does she even say she's like Oh, she was like, oh, I was just in the neighborhood. Yeah. And I thought I'd say hi. And it's just like, well, no, you weren't just in the neighborhood because Cynthia never showed up to the pool party. Mm -hmm. So like, 
someone had to have told her what their address was, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like she wouldn't just know, like, what the house looks like. She would have had to have known their address. Yeah. Our narrator is like, is she scoping out the competition for this position? Is she trying to get inside my head? Does she know that I want to fuck Vladimir? Oh, yeah. And then, like, before she leaves, she says something like, don't betray me or some shit like that. Yeah, don't stab me in the back. Yeah. Very ominous. So, yeah, I, I alluded to this earlier, but John has been, like, sneaking out a lot. And it's like, I think it's always like exactly at 9pm or something where he'd leave for a couple of hours and just like not show up back home. And so Sydney was like, yo, we should tail after him. While our narrator was never one to like get into John's business, like she really doesn't want to know what's going on with his life. She was really excited by the fact that Sydney wanted to do something with her because <laughs> Sydney had been kind of like cold towards her. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. So they follow him and he goes to the school, to the English department, at which point I was like, yo, is he going to be sleeping with a student? I was like, yo, what's going to happen? Mm -hmm. But the door opens and he is greeted by Cynthia. And I guess like they have like a little exchange with I think is literally just like a smile or something. And I think he like maybe like grabs, like touches her shoulder. Like It's like a very innocent kind of thing. Yeah. But you know, considering his history and I also think she's like projecting onto him. Oh, yeah. Big time. Yeah. So she comes to the conclusion that he and Cynthia are having an affair, which now leaves Vladimir like wide open here. Oh, he's prime for the picking. Oh, yeah, he the is. Vlad Harvest is ripe. Oh, oh, and then Alexis shows up. Oh, yeah. Alexis, uh, apparently Sydney and Alexis have been talking and Alexis is like, I want to come out there and like talk with you about stuff and I guess try this again, which I think is nice. Yeah. I think Alexis should maybe move on because it seems like i don't know it's hard to drop someone after three years but like it seems like maybe there were some issues yeah <laughs> i know i can't judge we barely know anything about this relationship <laughs> vladimir really disappears from this novel for like 60 yeah and then he like shows up again yeah <laughs> so we finally get to october 20th and this is where the book takes a turn that i did not yeah. expect okay so let's break this down it's October 20th, and I think they, like, get a coffee or something, and, you know, she's like, haha, like, where do you want to go for our date? And like, she has, like, an idea. She wants to go to this, like, farm stand or some shit that's, like, a drive away. Vladimir says, oh, well, like, as long as I'm back by five. And she's like, well, what do you have at five? And he says at five o'clock, he, he takes over for his wife to take care of their daughter, Fee, mm -hmm. uh, because then his wife, like focuses on her writing or like does whatever yeah. and she's like well that doesn't seem fair tell her no that you'll be back whenever it is that you want and that you'll hire a babysitter so he does hire a babysitter she's like some college girl who like works at the school and stuff so is very highly recommended by our narrator mm -hmm. and they go to this like far away restaurant thing okay so th this is the point where i was like what is going on they're drinking wine and she gives him double the serving that she gives herself and she is like well he's a man so he didn't notice and he didn't notice and so she's she is making him drink more than what she's drinking so her family they have this like vacation home i guess like a cabin or something that they usually rent out and they use that to like help pay for sydney's student loans and stuff like that but nobody was there so they go there Okay, so they go to this cabin, and she also, had, like, brings more alcohol and stuff, like, yeah. in her purse, like, mad sneaky. Uh, so, like, this has been, like, this is calculated. Like, she was planning to get him drunk, take him to the cabin, and get him even more drunk. So I was like, what the fuck is going on? And then she reaches into her purse and pulls out some pills. 
These pills she actually stole from Alexis. Alexis had her little like folding toiletry bag and left it in the bathroom since she was staying at their home. And our narrator dug through it, nosy bitch, and <laughs> stole her drugs. She stole like Xanax and something else from her. I looked it up and it's like some kind of surgical sedative, something along those lines. Jesus Christ. Yeah. yeah. And so she crushes up these pills and puts it in Vladimir's drink, which I did not see coming. Yeah, this is where I was like, huh? This is where it gets very Lifetime original movie for me. Yeah, it, it felt like this is where I sent you, are we the baddies? <laughs> <laughs> like I didn't, ex- all of a sudden it was like, excuse me? Unreliable narrator? Okay, so we go from like sad lady to like kidnapping a man. Yeah. I did not see that coming. Nobody knows where the fuck this guy is. No. So like, and so he's like very, very drunk to start with, like when they first get there Mm. and then they drink more and then she drugs him on top of that. So this man is like barely conscious at this point. He honestly maybe should have gone to a hospital. Oh my God. Absolutely. And she she even briefly considered it, I think, where she was like, I could just like rush and drop him off like at the emergency room because she was, she was starting to like have like some regrets for a bit where she was like, oh my God, like I'm drugging this man. Like, should I be drugging this man? Why am I doing this? And it's like, girl, yeah, why are you doing this? He likes her too. Yeah. Like he likes her even without the alcohol. He even says that she's attractive. Yeah. And it's like, it's, oh my God. And her whole plan, like she openly admits was that he would get like super drunk and then they'd be able to like lie together. And then just their like proximity would make him super horny. And then he'd fuck her. Like, what the fuck? Uh, Ah, no. I was, not expecting this neither did i like when when she went and stole those those drugs from alexis i was like you know she's a very anxious person right now she could probably use a xanax yeah that's what i thought too but no this is where it really turned for me i feel like it's it's definitely supposed to be like that because we don't even get a hint of this before no and you know you think that things are gonna be like kind of good like maybe cynthia is considering the sort of agreement that uh, narrator and her husband have because Vladimir texts him like I don't know when I'll be back here's the info for a babysitter uh, narrator says that she'll pay for it I heard the soft bloop of a response and Vlad exhaled and texted back what did she say she said have fun stud I could feel an air of tension that had been swirling around the both of us dissipate we were free thank you Cynthia I thought graceful funny Cynthia I came very close to highlighting that it's steamy. Oh, no. Or steamy or dreamy. It could have gone either way because, like, my poly self is like, I like that. Little did you know. <laughs> yeah, little did I know. <laughs> Made me feel like a damn fool. Okay, so, like, this poor man is, like, drug out of his fucking mind to the point where he, like, actually passes out. And she needs to, like, keep him upright. So she gets, like, fucking chains and zip ties and shit. Yeah. Was it to, like, restrain him or was it just to, like, keep him upright? Because I got it. I got the impression that it was, like, mostly to keep him upright. I think it was both. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and then she steals his phone and she texts Cynthia from it. She, like, drafts this, like, five times. She eventually sells on something like, Cynthia, I know about John. Uh, I need some time. Tell Fee I love her and don't forget about her swimming lesson tomorrow. She, like, specifically was like, I saw in his calendar that swimming lesson, and it felt very much like Vladimir to say something like that. And it's like, this is so calculated. It really is. It's terrifying. It is. And then she drops the phone in water, like, purposefully. Yeah, like, in a glass of water. Yeah. Like, she is full-on kidnapping this man. Yeah. And so she 
she goes to bed in another room and she wakes up the next morning to Vladimir fucking screaming <laughs> because he's woken up and he's been restrained. And he's in a puddle of his own urine. Yeah. Like this poor man. <laughs> and so she like fucking gaslights him yeah. <laughs> and is like yeah like you know last night you know we got pretty drunk and things got a little crazy and she's like and i didn't mean to tell you this way but you know i was just drunk and it slipped out but i told you about john and cynthia and how they're having an affair and he was like what and she's like he's like are you sure because i know that they were writing together that they were having their own little like writing club and she's like yeah and she essentially says that she caught them in the act yeah in flagrante delecto. Yeah. And so he's like, oh shit. And so she was like, yeah. So then like, you know, you were upset and then you admitted that you wanted to try some BSDM and he laughs, laughs and it's like, haha, you mean BDSM? And she's like, yeah, sure. And so you like asked me to restrain you. And so I did. And then I guess it like both passed out and then she woke up and totally forgot that he was tied up and just went to bed. <laughs> Which like, and he like, I honestly don't know if he actually fully believes her. I don't know. She did send those texts from his phone and he knows. So she says, oh, by the way, like your phone fell in the toilet. He's just kind of like, okay, I guess he seems confused and distressed still. But um, he's he's like calming down. Oh, she tells him something like Cynthia probably isn't expecting you back or anything. And he's like, I know I saw the text that you sent her. And apparently his texts are like backed up onto his laptop somehow. Well, I mean, like, I know that's the thing with, like, Apple, like, iMessage. Oh, okay. You can bring up on your laptops and stuff, yeah, across oh. all Apple devices. Who's the boomer now? <laughs> Plot twist, you were the boomer <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> the boomer was coming from inside the house. <laughs> the boomer was the friends we made along the way. Uh <laughs> <laughs> she asked, like, what'd she say about, um, about her and John? And she's like, she denied it, but she herself has admitted that she's been known to lie. So I don't know. <laughs> And so then he gets into, he's like, I think it's time I told you like what really happened before they moved. Mm. And so we get, we get the full story of what, well, from his perspective, at least of what happened. And it's, it's really funny because at this point she kind of like feels some like disdain towards him where she's like, oh, like he kind of sucks. Yeah. Where, you know, Cynthia has clearly for a very long time suffered from, you know, mental health issues. And she was even like struggling with addiction and like a whole bunch of stuff. And they are both writers. And so he got his advance with his book and then she got her advance and they were like, oh my God, like this money is like, you know, we have so much money. But then they didn't think about like taxes and the fact that, you know, an advance on a book and stuff really isn't enough to like set you for life. This would be me. Honestly, I was thinking about it. I'm like, oh, I feel like I would probably do this. But now yeah. that I know, yeah, we're, <laughs> I would try. Thank you, Julia Mae Jonas. <laughs> for, for the heads up for when I one day publish my smut novel. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and so, like, at this point, you know, since they have, like, this sudden influx of cash, they're like, oh, like, let's get a kid, let's get a kid, let's have a kid, <laughs> and, like, get a house, and, like, all this fun stuff, then, like, the money ran out, and they were back to, like, living paycheck to paycheck, and now they had, like, a daughter. So, money was, like, a big issue between the two of them. So, he, he like, felt, like, some resentment towards her, because you know they like blew through all this money now they have this kid and the way he sees it like she's still not really doing anything because all she does is right so then one day things are like kind of nice and like she wakes up and she's like you know very nice with him and like their daughter but she was like all right like go and like don't come back until like four o'clock something like that and he was like oh yeah like she's just gonna write and so she needs time to write so i'll take the kid he gets home later that day and sees a note from her saying like don't bring fee into the bedroom yeah 
like leave Fee in her high chair before you come into the bedroom. Yes. And that's where he sees her like having just attempted to commit suicide. And he totally forgot that it was the anniversary of her mother's death. Her mother's suicide. Yes. Her mother's suicide, uh, she killed herself when she was 10. So clearly very traumatic for her and hence like her emotional distress on the anniversary of that day. And and this is when like Vladimir really pisses me off because after that, she needed to get help. And he refers to it as her leaving. Like she got to have her escape. I was so mad. Oh, I was so fucking mad. She ran away. She went to an inpatient facility in Pennsylvania geared towards the recuperation of severely depressed women for six months. And I wrote, oh, fuck you. That's not running away. Fuck you, Vladimir. Fuck you. You obviously don't actually give a shit about your wife. Clearly. Maybe that's harsh to say to a fictional character. (laughs) But like, he only really seems to concern how it affects him. And I get it. I really, I sincerely understand where he's coming from. I've been in codependent relationships with severely mentally ill women you really like start hinging yourself on how well they're doing and her, you know, going to this rehab facility for six months and leaving you with your infant daughter. Yeah, that sucks. But you don't frame it that way two years later. Yeah, exactly. You say, I felt like she was leaving me. Mm -hmm. But also he's a 40 year old man. Yeah. Who I have to assume has never gone to therapy. Yeah. Which he should have. And like, clearly he's also dying for like some kind of escape. Yeah. Because I I feel like he has to have some idea as to like how fucking bananas our narrator is. (laughs) And yet he chooses to stay there because they're going to take that opportunity while they're there to write. Yeah. So he's just been dying to get away, which like, listen, I understand like needing time, especially after, you know, being like the sole caretaker of your daughter for a while. Like, it's a lot. Yeah. I understand needing a break and stuff, but for him to, like, again, refer to, like, her being hospitalized as, like, fucking her running away or whatever, taking a break or escaping, whatever, it's just fucking insane to me. I would be way more okay if he said that her suicide attempt was her trying to run away. I would at least get that. That's what I thought it was at first. Yeah, no. It's just, it's... Yeah, and then it's like, no. What an asshole. Yeah. Like, because at... at one hundred percent. That is how. But that is what I thought it was going to be at first. And it's like, no. It was when she was getting help that he saw that as her running away. I'm like, you fucking asshole. And our narrator also kind of enables him, where she was like, well, now it's your turn. Yeah. As if these two are like equal. What a bitch. <laughs> God, fucking. I do like how evil she is at some points. Uh, I do. Again, I dislike this, but also. This is a Lifetime movie that I would absolutely watch. I I hope, I hope they make this into a Lifetime movie. <laughs> I pray to whatever gods may or may not be out there, please. Also, can we talk about how uh, both the narrator and Vladimir love musicals? Oh yeah, they do refer to musicals a couple times. We made thick coffee with cream and sugar to sober ourselves up and prepared dinner, listening to the cast album of Sweeney Todd with Patti Lapone and Michael Cerveris. I was loved to his Sweeney. And I gotta say, you're, I, I love Patti Lapone as much <laughs> as the next woman, but you listen to the Patti Lapone one when, when Angela Lansbury and Len Carew are right there? Come on. Seriously? What are you That's an, that is actually a thought that I also had <laughs> reading this. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I, don't think, I think that's one of the ones that doesn't even have a full orchestra. What are you doing? Let, oh my it's Stephen God. Sondheim wrote this whole beautiful thing, and then all these directors afterwards are like, 100-piece orchestra? Nah, how about a tuba? And they call themselves fans of musical theater. 
Okay. <laughs> Posers. <laughs> name name two music notes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now they're taking this time to like write and it's kind of like, oh, like this fun little getaway. But yeah, so like, I think this is the point where he actually says like, oh, like, I know that you sent that message. Yeah. And he's like, but no, it's okay. He starts like, I don't want to say that he's like coming on to her because mm-hmm. it almost seems like he's not. And he actually says this where he's he's playing the role that he, she assigned him. Yeah, much like the role of Sweeney Dodd. Oh my God. <laughs> Do you think that's why why musicals come up? That's as far as casting roles and stuff? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I just thought it was mostly to be pretentious because they were like <laughs> talking about their love of musicals and how it's like plays are like poems, but musicals are like novels. And I'm like, all right, fuck <laughs> you. I don't care. <laughs> Who the fuck cares? <laughs> Julie May Jonas, I'm sure I'm going to add you when we, whenever we do this episode. Tweet me if I'm right. <laughs> At Punk Dyke on Twitter. <laughs> Can't believe no one had that, that ad. It was waiting for you. Destiny. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so he's like, I'm just playing the role that you want me to play. And she's like very uncomfortable with it, where it's like now that she's getting what she wants, she's like not down with it. Yeah, it's about the chase. Exactly. And it's been it's been that this whole time where it's like this whole time she's like, oh, my God, I just want to feel like wanted and needed because it's like she's not getting that from her husband. She sees herself as like this like old saggy woman. So she's not getting it from like other people. As far as she's concerned, and like she, her daughter doesn't need her anymore, so she's wanted to be needed this whole time. And now that she's finally getting it, it's just kind of like, oh, like, huh. And I, again, it's like it is part of the chase. It's kind of just like aspiring to something that isn't like in your mind, like going to happen. Yeah. Like, what do you do once you get that? I mean, not to bring the most innocent character of all time into this, but Anne Shirley of Anne of Green Gables once <laughs> said that looking forward to something is half the fun. Or, like, sometimes better than the actual thing. Mm -hmm. I think that's what we got going on here. We got a real Anne Shirley on our hands, I guess. And I also think it's like... sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I also think it's like, okay, having this thing will make me happy. And now that she has this thing, she has to acknowledge that, no, that's not what she needs to be happy. Because everything else in her life fucking sucks. Yeah. You know, where it's just like, oh, all of my problems can be solved by this one thing. And that's... She was just using that as a reason to completely ignore everything else that was going on. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so like that night, uh, she's in bed and Vladimir comes to join her in bed and we have the most like, <laughs> disappointing sex scene. <laughs> the most three paragraphing is sex scene. Oh my God. I, I mean, I highlighted one paragraph of Steamy because I was like, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I like where she said, toward the end, he reached a hand around my friend and I orgasmed immediately and silently. Like, cool. Nice. Glad he had fun. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. I get why it's not, like, I, I get why this is no Kane Michaels and Gisela here. Ooh. It's not supposed to be. This is, the, man, I I just cannot talk about one thing ever. I'm going to bring up looking for Alaska for some oh, reason. Oh, goodness. Where where it's like the sex scene that is it, it's not it's passionless. Uh, I'm gonna cut that out. I don't want to talk about fucking John Green who <laughs> once sent me hate on Tumblr on this he podcast. Did? He did. He once sent me hate on Tumblr. <laughs> true, true fucking story. We leave this, in. this was when uh, let's do a John Green novel <laughs> next. 
Oh no. <laughs> and you could be like, remember me, bitch? <laughs> God. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Um so yeah, they have the most like mediocre, <laughs> like disappointing sex, to which like she even tells him, like, you don't have to stay, and he like thanks her and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> What a dick. <laughs> um, so that very night, she starts hearing some some shuffling around and like knocking shit over in from the living room. And she's like, oh, God, like it's a burglar, because I guess the area they're in is mostly vacation homes. So they think it's like, oh, it's just a bunch of rich people who leave these places uninhabited for like 90 percent of the year. I'd rob it. Oh, hell yeah, me too. For legal purposes, that is a joke. But her immediate thought is like, oh my god, like, my laptop is out there, and my laptop is the only place I have my novel saved. Yeah, because she started writing again. Because, like, yeah, her horniness for Vladimir has, like, fueled her creatively. And they've also taken this whole, like, time to just, like, work on both of their novels. Which And she's like, oh my god, why didn't I email it to myself or save it to, like, a flash drive? And I was like, girl, you know clouds exist, right? <laughs> but okay. Boomer. Like, everything automatically saves to my OneDrive. Type it up in Google Docs, moron. <laughs> and so she's like, okay, well, I can't, like, yell because that might alert the burglar that somebody's here and then he's just gonna run off with my laptop. So she, like, grabs an umbrella and she's like, I can use it as a weapon or I can open it and it would confound him. <laughs> as if she's, like, the fucking penguin. <laughs> <laughs> So she goes out there and turns out it's her husband who decided to show up after his hearing. His hearing has been happening this whole time while she's been up there because she has she has refused to attend. Yeah, and uh, Sydney and Alexis are like helping him like with some like legal counsel, basically. So they've been all bonding over that and she's felt left out of that, too. The hearing has been going on this whole time. Do we know what's going on at this point? With the hearing, I mean? Uh, yeah, basically, it's like, I think it's not looking good for him, but he's just so tired of it. Yeah. He's considering just resigning, but his his lawyer that he hired wanted to stay on for a little bit to, to make sure that nobody could bring civil suits against him. And Alexis and Sydney have, have convinced him, like, if anyone does, they don't have a legal leg to stand on. So he's basically given up. And then he's talking about how, like, you know, they can sell like both of their houses and move to a small apartment and they can just like spend all their days going to museums or they can say fuck it and like go to Mexico and like live off of their money for like the rest of their lives. And this entire time he was he was just talking and he, she was like, he's not even asking me like if that's what I want. Yeah. Because he was suggesting that they both resign. Yeah. As like, you know, that she would resign in like solidarity. It's really presumptuous. Yeah. And so she's like, stop it. You show up in the middle of the night unannounced. What do you think you're doing? 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 <laughs> so then he like apologized. Then he starts like grabbing at her and he's just like, yo, I'm going to fuck you. Yeah. So she like screams or something and Vladimir comes running butt ass naked, <laughs> ready to like fight something. And then John's like, oh <laughs> like this is what's been going on and he was like well he's like i can't say anything about it like he's like that explains it i mean it doesn't explain why you smell like another man's jizz i hated reading that and i hate listening to it and i hate hearing it again just oh, now i, I know hate thinking about it i hate the word jizz i don't even say that <laughs> it's anymore so bad no one has said that since jizzed in my pants was a thing yeah like ew <laughs> Anyway, he's like, I didn't know you were here, Vlad. It's truly a surprise. I love it, actually. I'm very infrequently surprised. 
I told him it was only fair. I felt unexpectedly moved, resentment swirling in my chest. Only fair? He crossed his legs and leaned on his hand like Rodin's thinker. What do you mean? You and Cynthia. Tears were hot against my eyes and I didn't understand why. Cynthia and me, he said, and began laughing again, then repeated it several times in different annotations. Cynthia and me. Me and Cynthia. I saw you together. Oh, my friends, he said, dropping into a solemn register. Let me reassure you, Cynthia's far too far above my pay grade. No, I saw you. My face contorted. I leaned so far off the couch I was nearly standing. We're complicit, don't get me wrong, but not in a physical manner, honestly. And then Vladimir looked from me to John and back. I thought you saw them in... Like, how do you say that? In flagrante delecto. I don't know, I said, shrinking back in the couch, my bottom lip heavy. We write together. So this is what they've been doing this whole time. It's just been writing together. Doing drugs, apparently. Yeah. They never specify what drugs, but I think our narrator is like, it's he's probably gotten Adderall from a student on campus. Yeah, I was thinking like Adderall or Coke. That's what like writers yeah. seem to go for, I think. I mean, writers do all sorts of shit. That's true. But I'm thinking of like writer and also university students. Yeah. Because he gets, she gets them. Yeah, she gets them from a student and he holds them. In like a safe or something because she is slash was an addict. Yeah. To which like Vladimir does like react. He gets like real mad and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like she's an addict. Like, why are you giving her drugs? Like, do you know what could happen? Yeah, and that's when John's like, she gives a, she gives me drugs. Yeah. <laughs> Our narrator has this thing, has apparently had it since she was a child, that whenever she feels like she's, like, quote unquote, in trouble, she gets very, very cold. And so she starts, like, feeling very cold at this point. And she, like, there are two space heaters in this place because it hasn't been winterized. And she just, like, turns both of them on the highest setting and, like, sits between them. Yeah, and then they, they go to bed. And so she was like, John, I don't feel like setting up the pull-out couch. Like, just come to bed with me. And they're, like, huddled together for warmth and stuff because this place is fucking cold. Yeah. Anyway, the house catches on fire, so it's not that cold anymore. Yeah. There are, like, a couple chapters that are just, like, a page long. And it's, like, the first time I wake, I'm surrounded by orange and smoke. So I guess it's, like, Vladimir. Because he, like, stepped out. I think he went, like, kayaking or some shit. Yeah. And he comes back and, like, pulls both of them out of the fire. Which, like, shit. Damn, Vladimir. Yeah, I can't. I cannot say I would have done the same thing. God, I have probably honestly. A little dreamy. (laughs) (laughs) Basic human decency from a man? I wouldn't say it's steamy, but certainly smoky. (laughs) Yeah, so he fucking rescues both of them from the fuck- Again, like, very Lifetime movie, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Rescues them both from the fucking fire. They both have third-degree burns and shit. Yeah, she um, has third-degree burns on 22% of her body, mostly on her legs, some on her neck, and the lower part of her face. John has third-degree burns on more than 30% of his body, his torso up the back of his head, down the back of his legs, and on his outer arms. Jesus. Jesus Christ. Also, uh, this this chapter is only like a paragraph long. The last sentence of that paragraph chapter is, they patch our skin with the skin of a cadaver, which like I know is a thing, but just reading it like that was like, ugh. Yeah, it's very effective. Ooh, yeah. So yeah, this is what happened. Vladimir came back from his kayak ride. Uh, he saw the fire, no phone to call 911. So he dove into the lake water, then ran into the house and dragged her out and then John before running and knocking on neighboring lake houses until he found someone home. So much later... She asks him, like, who he chose to save first. Like, he didn't choose, really, he says. There was no time. But maybe if he delved, there might have been the thought that he should save me first, only because I am younger. He's just saying that. Yeah. Oh, before that, the one copy of her novel has been destroyed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In the fire. <laughs> just the biggest oof. 
That's why, my friends, you save everything to a cloud. Yep. Back your shit up. Yep. Anyway, Sydney's pregnant from that guy on the train, which I called. I called halfway through the book because she mentions feeling kind of sickly. Oh, I didn't even register that, honestly. It's like where where when we find out she's pregnant, I'm like not surprised, but I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, like of course she is, because like the what, what the fuck else would happen in this book? <laughs> but yeah, I didn't even like realize that it was kind of like alluded to earlier on. Yeah, and I actually kind of like this. Our narrator asks Alexis if she's happy, and Alexis says she is. We know nothing about him, Sid adds, so it's like he doesn't exist. And it's like, hell yeah. (laughs) Hell yeah. So yeah, so then they actually get a bunch of money because I guess the space heaters that caused the fire, that's what happened, are like faulty or some shit, so they got like a huge settlement. Yeah. Sydney, uh, not Sydney, Alexis helped them. Yeah, which like, hell yeah. So yeah, so they like buy an apartment in Washington Heights. And we find out that Vladimir has written a novel uh, about a younger man's tender affair with an older woman. She dies in a fire in a cabin in the mountains. There are many descriptions, similes, and metaphors that concern the loosening quality of her skin. The book is deemed well-written but bleak and does not do well, though he is long-listed for a few awards. And then Cynthia's book is a bestseller. (laughs) Honestly... It's so fucking funny. It's such a good punchline. It really is. And then Cynthia gets offered a tenure track position. So like happy ending for Cynthia. Good for her. She deserves it. Yeah. Oh, and so John had been writing like an epic poem that he ended up publishing also. He submitted it to major poetry publications. They published it, but it is immediately met with objection by young writers of the community who deemed the poem objectionable due to its sexual content and his history. I would too. And then we get the, like, the epilogue. Yeah. I I don't know when this takes place. It just says one night. Yeah, it's just later on she's upstate because they decide to keep their upstate house because they're fucking boomers and they're rich. Mm. One night when I'm upstate, the front entrance bell rings. Once again, visitor unfamiliar with our town, yada, yada, yada. When I open the door, a woman in her mid-thirties, ragged tissue in hand, introduces herself. I ask her in and pour her and myself a glass of wine. So she finds out that this woman who showed up is one of the women who wrote the letter against her husband. She, in fact, organized it. She has, like, this whole inner monologue. This, this like, she gives this woman her own inner monologue in the narration, where, like, this is what she imagines herself to have said and thought. And one of the parts was... He should have seen it. He should have seen how young I was inside, how little I knew about what he wanted, about what was good for me. He should have thrown me out of his office, told me to take a cold shower to grow up to find friends or a boyfriend my own age. I was of age, but I was a child. He had complimented me, praised me, made me feel as though I had something to offer the world, but that was only courtship, I finally realized. I had taken it as truth. I don't know. At the end, she she says, like, perhaps that is what she thinks, or perhaps that is what I imagine the young woman sitting across from me in the same seat as Vladimir sat on the night of our first meeting might think. And it's like, you clearly understand on some level that what your husband did is fucked up. Yeah, exactly. You understand very deeply that what your husband did is fucked up. And I guess you kind of understand maybe what you did was fucked up. Is that why this is here? So I, when I was looking up this book, one of the things that came up was people looking up ending. I guess they wanted the ending explained. Yeah. I'm not sure if this is in your, your physical copy, but the Amazon 
copy has like a, a book club discussion bit in the back and an interview with the author. Oh, uh, does it? I don't think it does. No, it just has the acknowledgments and about the author, which is two sentences long. Yeah, there, there are like questions. And one of the questions is like about the ending. Question 10. In the end, John and the narrator remain together and adopt the life of a docile aging couple. What do you think of their decision? Has the narrator's experience with Vladimir changed her feelings about John's affair with her students? Ways revealed of her psyche in the final chapter and especially the final line, which the final line is, well, the final line is, oh, shame. But the last bit is, um, when we part, I touch her shoulder and say, everything is still in front of you. Her eyes fill with tears and she thanks me. I don't mind saying it. I believe it and she needs to hear it. Dazzling, explosive, pitch dark and blinding light like a steamroller, like a hummingbird in the body and the atmosphere and currents of our blood. On the street corners, hidden in melodies, in smells and dropping temperatures and rising speed. In rooms we have forgot we inhabited. Clothing we forgot we owned. Touch we forgot we felt. Oh, shame. Um, I don't... Do I get it? <laughs> N- Nicole, do I understand this ending? I do not. <laughs> I guess she's saying, like, shame is so deeply because because shame is capitalized in that last line shame is so like deeply woven into her at this point like is that why she she feels like she stuck up for her husband and stuff and what she feels right now it ended so suddenly that i was a little startled to be honest yeah i don't fucking know (laughs) yeah I don't know. The most important thing to me is that we get we get confirmation from the horse's mouth here that that like this fucked her up. Like this yeah. this woman. There were long term psychological effects, she says at one point in the evening. I was so young, she says at another. I didn't know what it meant, she says, and I didn't realize until much later what it did to me. I take it all in. She wants to me to bear witness, I'm happy to comply. Are you better now? I ask. Mostly, she replies. <laughs> Nicole, I will I will reiterate what I said in the beginning of this podcast. What the fuck was this book? I don't know. I just work here. I think I liked this book. I definitely did not. Yeah. <laughs> I actually recommended this book to my mother. Did you really? I did. I sent her I sent her a message being like, I think you would vibe with this book. Oh my god. <laughs> like, okay, I did not like this book. If this were a lifetime movie, I would like the lifetime movie. <laughs> And that I will I will leave it at that. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Maybe that's damning with faint praise. I think that the title and the cover and the salacious peach emoji mm-hmm. were very misleading. Is all I'm gonna say. Yes, deeply misleading. But that's not really the author's fault. Yeah, damn you, book of the month club, and also the person who decided on this cover. <laughs> <laughs> Those bastards knew that we in particular would buy it. They knew. They knew. Well, we've been discussing this podcast since 2019, so they overheard (laughs) us and they were like, oh, okay. (laughs) This is what we're going to do. Get these bitches. (laughs) So, uh, Nicole, smash or pass uh, Vladimir Vladinsky? Pass. Pass. (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to do a hard pass on both those. Bonus, Bonus smash or pass, Cynthia Tong. Smash. Smash. A, smash. a soft smash. I was going to say Sydney smash or pass. Oh, oh, the biggest smash. Smash. <laughs> Alexis too. Alexis yeah. can also get it. Yeah. <laughs> smash and smash. And how about our favorite character, John, smash or pass? 
Oh, smash with the hammer of justice. <laughs> Ugh. Some of the the good reads for this for this book are so all over the place. Oh my god. One person outright said like our main character is like a rape apologist. And it's like tough words, but not necessarily untrue words. Yeah. Yeah. Big oof. Biggest oof. So, okay, what would you rate this on, let's start with dreaminess. I don't know, man, like (laughs) a one. (laughs) (laughs) I think that she and Vladimir didn't have much interaction at all in this book. I think that um, I'll give her idea of Vladimir like a three, but her actual interactions with Vladimir, I'm giving it a one. Yeah, I think like the only like remotely dreamy parts are like Alexis and Sydney like being really good parents. Yeah, I think that Vladimir had some fun banter at a couple of points, but that's he it. did. He was cute sometimes, but when he wasn't yeah. like pissing me the fuck off. Yeah. So I'll I'll give it a a, a point six. Okay. I think that's generous. Yeah. All right, Nicole, uh, steaminess. Let's see. We got a whole, what, paragraph of of very disappointing sex. So <laughs> I'm going to give it like a negative four. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give it a point five. Like I read that twice. Unlike our main character, my vagina has never been drier. <laughs> <laughs> Because she does mention, she's like, I was surprisingly, like, not dry or some shit. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the toils of getting old. Oof. Anyway, this this podcast sponsored by KY Jelly. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, how about memeiness, Nicole? Do you do you feel this book's memeiness in your vagina? <laughs> it's shooting sparks up through my whole body. I wouldn't even call it meme Like, the parts that I did, like, find a little funny, really, I don't think were intended to be funny. Yeah. Well, that's what meme is. But, well, well, that, but it's, like, it's also, like, not even, like, funny funny. It's kind of like, uh. oh, okay. <laughs> I'll give it a one. I'll give it, like, a, like a two. Oh, you're much nicer than I am. <laughs> yeah. I, I think i liked this book i don't know again like i said book no thank you lifetime movie i'd watch that shit i'll say enemy of the show ari aster uh director <laughs> of midsummer and hereditary <laughs> once said about midsummer is like mixed reactions that he enjoys or prefers when people have like a strong negative reaction to his work because he he says like at least you felt something mm-hmm. like you know people people leave Marvel movies or whatever and and are like yeah it was it was okay yeah. I guess whereas you know I left Midsummer in Hereditary and was like I'm gonna write an essay about that because I hated it <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know that's kind of how I feel here where it's like I kind of like that I dislike the novel or do I dislike that I like it I have so many emotions about <laughs> this novel but I don't know any of them. <laughs> towards at least like me personally i like that i dislike it again the way one would a lifetime movie yeah christ certainly a book one of the novels of all time it is a book i read <laughs> it, this is given the the this is a book i read scale on because <laughs> i think i also said that about if i break i think we say this on like every episode like certainly one of the books of all time <laughs> Something we have read. It's like, if we don't have a strong positive reaction to it, it's like, I read it. Um, (laughs) 
but like i i definitely liked this more than if i break there were parts of this yeah. i enjoyed yeah there were parts of this i thought were good a lot of parts of this that uh, i thought were okay good. as far as the writing actually i thought it was very well written just the very story good. itself yeah. i did not care for but yeah no as far as like writing goes like i you i don't think you can like disagree like this is very well written julie may jones is a it's a playwright by trade and this is her debut novel which yeah. i think is very exciting where it's like if and when she comes out with another book i would read it yes i would i and i and i think that's a good summation of like how i feel about it yeah exactly well written yeah. i feel weird about the plot <laughs> yeah we're definitely not the target audience yeah yeah but i yeah. think that that's kind of what makes this fun you know yeah I don't know if I've said this out loud before, but I hope that some of the authors that we've read books from here actually listen to these episodes when they come out, because <laughs> I'd be interested in knowing how they feel about this, because I, I do respect all of the authors that we've read so far. I know I was real hard on Portia Moore. Um, sorry. Sorry, Portia. But like, I respect the craft. It's hard. Oh, absolutely. Writing is not easy. Yeah. That's for sure. For, for real. We both write. I haven't fucking published yeah. anything. Good for every author we've read so far. Seriously, I publish on archive archive of our own. <laughs> That's about it. Seriously, yeah, like kudos to everybody who is one committed enough to finish a full length novel, and two able to like put themselves out there. Like mm -hmm. you are doing something that most of us cannot or will not ever do. Yeah, like that tweet I read at the beginning of the podcast where she's like, I just kind of assumed that when people mentioned a novel they hated and they don't say what it is, that it's my novel, that would be me. <laughs> yeah. And so to address our, our new friend, uh, Julia Mae Jonas, I did not hate this book. Yeah. So if we say we hate a book, it's not this one. Yeah, no. <laughs> In fact, while, again, the story was not for me, I honestly hope that she does publish another novel, and I would read yeah. it, and I will read Same. it. If she's if she's shown a play in New York anytime soon, maybe we should go to it. <gasps> That's a great idea. Okay, well, we'll see. Now I'll have to keep future, an eye on that. Future podcast. <laughs> All right, so I guess I was going to say final thoughts, but I think we kind of summed up our final thoughts already. Yeah, I don't know. What's your final word on this? Uh, um, salacious question mark mine is okay boomer but one word hashtag okay boomer there we go there we go <laughs> so what are we gonna read next uh so i was thinking um after this book i don't want to live in reality anymore Fair enough. Um, so I was thinking maybe we could read something a little more fantastical. Ooh. How about uh, Wildfire Griffin by <gasps> Zoe Chant, a book about a, a shape-shifting fire and rescue worker. Ooh, that's going to be fun. And you know how I've said big autistic energy for a couple of these characters in this <laughs> podcast so far? Because I'm autistic and I enjoy reading that into other people. Our love interest is autistic, canonically. <gasps> Yay! So get hyped. So that's what we'll do next. Well, that sums up Vladimir. Julia Mae Jonas, come out with another book. Yeah. If you're listening Julia to Julia Mae Jonas, call me. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm just telling everyone to call me at the end of these episodes. I mean, maybe one day someone will. Maybe. Well, there's no harm in trying. Maybe Sydney will call me. One of these fictional characters will call me one day, right? Yeah, I don't see why not. <laughs> All right, well, we will catch everyone next time then on the flip side. Bye. See ya. <laughs>
Hi there, my name's Max Newland. My friends and I love anime, but you don't have to take my word for it. Hello, my name is Max Kostrak, and I have a confession today. I do love anime. Hey there, my name is Stevie Matos, and I love anime like I love yogurt parfaits. I watch it, I engage with it, and I think about it a lot. Give me a good bed of mechs sprinkled with some harem anime, a slice of life, and some little dabs of a sports anime. Let's go. Mm. Now doesn't that sound delicious? Join us every Monday at the After School Anime Club, a podcast where we play fun games and talk through the anime classics of the 90s and 2000s. That's the After School Anime Club, available now on your podcatcher of choice.